Oh, you know what? I was gonna... Here's how we can fill the time. I'm gonna tell you some jokes. Because I feel like we're very much in spring weather right now, even though it's May. Because it's been raining. Do you want to hear some jokes? Sure. About spring? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Why are water beds so bouncy? I don't know. They're filled with spring water. <laughs> Did you hear about the pregnant bed bug? No. She's having her babies in the spring. <laughs> I don't get it. Like in the bed spring. Oh. Oh my god. Why is Yoda such a good gardener? Why? He has green thumb. Because <laughs> he's green, right? What did the dirt say to the rain? I don't know. You better cut it out or my name will be mud. (laughs) (sighs) Ooh, what is a flower's favorite kind of pickle? I don't know. A daffodil. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, calm down. You're going to pee your pants. Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life. Books and champagne. Brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. All right. We are drinking J. Cuvée today. It comes from the Russian River Valley in California. It has aromas of Meyer lemon. Yay. Honeysuckle. Yay. Pear. Yay but also notes of delicate yeast, brioche, and toasted almond. Woo! Good times. Are you jelly that I beat you in the wordle today? How long was your streak? Was it long? To be fair, though, this was a difficult wordle because I had like three guesses in a row that had three correct letters, same placement every time. I can smell the brioche. The brioche? Mm-hmm. Go easy on me. I just had a beer. <laughs> I'm going to fill mine to the brim. Do it. You give Rachel more, too, because she needs to lighten up. She needs to drown her sorrows from sucking at the wordle today. You got close, honey. You were only one letter off. You should be proud. <laughs> Are you mad at me? She is. It was a good guess. You got the H. Cheers to tomorrow being a new day for the Wordle. Start your run all over again. <laughs> she won't cheers me. Which is just like in Legally Bond. I remember the first time I saw it in the movie theaters. They're sitting there at dinner and she's like offering a toast and he doesn't drink. After he just puts it right down. <laughs> I was like, oh, what something's heck? going down. <laughs> He's going to dump her. What are you reading? I'm reading what you're reading. I know. It's so much fun to have overlaps. Yeah. So we are both tackling I Kiss Cheryl Wheeler. So we talked about this one last week. Uh, It's a YA release by Casey McQuiston. And uh, we both like, this sounds like John Green, Paper Towns, Mm -hmm. uh, where the the sort of popular, enigmatic girl goes missing. There's more to her than meets the eye. Yes. And even uh, Casey McQuiston does say, <laughs> this, is, this isn't this is some John Green story, like, in the book, which yeah. is kind of funny. And it's like, mm, yes, it is. Yes, but it is. It I is. will say, though, John Green is a lot darker than this one. Yeah. People are more depressed and lost. Yes. And so, sad. <clears throat> So Chloe goes to this Christian private high school in Alabama where one of her moms is from. And, you know, the only thing that sort of keeps her going is that she like really wants to be the valedictorian. And the only person who can like beat her to that title is Shara Wheeler, who's like the most popular girl in school. And perfect in every way. Mm -hmm. Super blonde, super... At least on the surface, as much as we can tell, super Christian, has the quarterback boyfriend, is smart, has everything going for her. Yep. And Chloe is a queer, you know, nerdy kid. And 
artsy. Yep. She has her artsy friends. So for me, in addition to Paper Towns by John Green, it also brought to mind the 90s movie Never Been Kissed, where the arty girl kind of gets thrown in with the cool crowd. Are you thinking of She's All That? With Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, what's her face? Should Rachel. I start it again? No, be, this is okay. We should just own that our '90s movie of trivia that we need to have a '90s yeah. movie night. Never been kisses the one with your bear mark. Yeah, that's true. Okay. she's all that. Thank you with Freddie Prince and uh, the main character. What's her Rachel Lee Cook? Rachel Lee <laughs> Cook. She's the arty girl. And they transform her into, like, super sexy. Now, there's not that much transformation in this one. Chloe is staying true to who she is, but she's learning some things about it herself along the way. And about the, you know, popular kids, that maybe there's more to some of those mm-hmm. to her peers and she's really given mm-hmm. them any credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the crux of the story is that Shara, the super popular girl, has disappeared. She has kissed one boy, has kissed Chloe, and supposedly is dating, you know, in this long-term relationship with the quarterback. She disappears on prom night. Yes, and she Mm -hmm. leaves these clues for Mm -hmm. the three of them, like, to find her. And so they're trying to... Yeah, lots of intrigue. Solve the mystery. Where is she? Why'd she disappear? They all have different reasons. For wanting her to come back. And there's, you know, kind of sexual tension. Yeah. So it's like, a YA book. So, so it's like Chloe's like boyfriend sexual. wants her to come back, you know, or yeah. sorry, uh, Shara's boyfriend wants her to come back for what seems like obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And Chloe is like, if you just leave and I get valedictorian by default, that's not winning. Yeah. Like, I want to win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a real, you know, it's a fun YA book. And this right. is Casey McQuiston's first YA book. Her first two novels have been read by many YA readers. Um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is about kind of like a Prince Harry type character being in love, is enemies to lovers, um, but with the president of the United States' son. So it's queer, intense romance, very steamy so much fun. Um, and then One Last Stop, which came out last year, uber popular, about two girls and their love passing. Um, I think there's a time travel element, but yeah, huge fans of her work. Um, she also does a lot of fun. Her her book production is really pretty. Like, she always yeah, has a color Miller theme. Book is really nice. Yeah, and when you take the dust jacket off, there's these, like metallic lip prints yep. all over the cover, which is really cool. Yeah. It's a fun read. Like I in really I have like I think two chapters left. But, I'm only like halfway through. But the rest, I mean, I read it all like in uh, you know, one mm-hmm. evening. So it's it's not like a super time consuming book or anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it on Libro FM and it's just been really indulgent and fun. Then what I'm physically reading, you have also read. Yes, and I'm excited to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And it is a book club pick for Dog Ear Books in the fall. So if it sounds interesting to you, listeners, you should join us. So tell me, what are you reading? I am reading Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez. She's a debut author, but this book was highly anticipated. A lot of people were excited about it. So good. You read it. You loved it. Um, your enthusiasm had definitely put it on my radar, and it was um, on my TBR list. Um, but then our social book club with some mom friends picked it for our May selection. So I bumped it right up, um, and I love it. I love, like you said from the beginning, the first pages, the vibe it's just spicy and intense and it's very electric. And there's more of, and there's like this humor to it. Yeah. Um, Playful. Yes. But it deals with a lot of like mm-hmm. heavy subject mm-hmm. matter. And I just feel like she does such an amazing job of balancing that throughout the book. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun read, but it deals with hard stuff. Which is to me, a perfect read. Yeah. I love and it's something very well written. Yeah. You know, like it's not like mm, cheesy, no, fakey, cliches, none of that. So the premise of it is um, it's 2017. 
and our primary character is Olga. And Olga is a very intelligent, I think, Harvard graduate um, wedding planner to the elite of New York, mm-hmm. the uber wealthy. And I, I think that's where the fun kicks off right in the beginning. She's dealing with a client and what ridiculous things they focus on and how she kind of manipulates the behaviors. <laughs> she's a little scammy. Yeah, she's a little <laughs> scammy, but she takes advantage of the, the poor behaviors of these uber wealthy clients. Her brother is a congressman for their area of New York. Um, they grew up in Southern Brooklyn um, with their grandmother. And we learn that their parents were very involved in the movement for f- freedom um, for Puerto Rico. They wanted independence and they're uh, big advocates for the pre- Puerto Rican people. And her mother left the children with the grandmother to live her life for this purpose. I mean, she's like a revolutionary. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. she's, you know, on the island, like... Doing the work. Yeah. And she's also gone to other areas of the world yeah. that have needed and she's, efforts she's like she's a this. little bit extremist, too. I mean, mm-hmm. like, she's not opposed to using violence. Um, you know, she's, she's like, hardcore. And the purpose of your life and what she tasks her children with is the purpose of your life is to look out for the Puerto Rican people. Right. And now they're both grown and they successful. Yeah. And they're living lives that really do not align with their parents, particularly their mother's value. Their, their father passed away a drug addiction mm-hmm. um, when they were teenagers. So they've really been raised by extended family and their mother has kept in touch with them. She is never reachable, but she sends them letters. And shaming letters. Shaming letters for the way they're living their lives. Says Olga, Olga is like, working with the elite and Prieto as a congressman is in some situations where he has to make decisions or feels like he needs to make decisions that his mother wouldn't necessarily agree with. Right. So this book that we both love, super entertaining, (laughs) draws you in with the romantic interest. Yes. Um, Draws you in with the um, relationships between aunts and uncles and cousins and rivalries and friendships. Yeah, there's this whole like complicated, extended, mm-hmm. loving family mm-hmm. with its own dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really sort of cool portrayal of um, the type of family that's very much dependent on extended family mm-hmm. and like this multi generational aspect. Um, mm-hmm. But it definitely paints a picture about being the child of an immigrant, mm-hmm. whether your your parent is a revolutionary or not. Um, the pressures and expectations about the sacrifice the parent has made and how it should be, um, there should be gratitude and expectation for how the children will then live their lives. And um, anyone with parents with high expectations can relate to that storyline Um There's also the idea of wealth, gentrification of New York. Um, It paints a picture of Brooklyn, Southern Brooklyn, that is very intimate. Uh, The author lives there. So there's there's a few biographical elements to it. Um, The location, she, uh, the author, was raised by her maternal grandparents. Um, She also started a small business on her own. similar to Olga and her wedding business. Um, But fun fact, she is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop. So Mm -hmm. that's very cool. In her bio, she talks about how she's abandoned Brooklyn, you know, just (laughs) uprooted her life and moved to the land of corn. We're very glad. We hope you come back. Visit Dockyard Books. And um, well, and I think the thing I like most about this book is that Prieto and Olga are both characters who experience this arc you know so like both of them i mean their mother's expectations are very unfair um and manipulative and probably abusive but uh, both of them are like have lived with kind of compromised values Mm -hmm. and have to come to terms with like what they're willing to like do in terms of integrity like right how are they going to live their lives in a better way than Mm -hmm. how they've been living them Right. So so highly recommend it. It was a fabulous cover as well. 
Indeed. All right. Over the past week, um, we've been struggling with the rumors or uh, reportings that the Supreme Court is debating overturning the precedent of Roe v. Wade. As women with uteruses, we have opinions about this because we like to be in charge of our own bodies. Um, we intimately have experience with this topic, um, whether it's our own experiences or those of our friends. Um, one in four women will have had an abortion in their life. I have four children that are all girls. I have three sisters. Um, our abundance of female friends. We care very deeply about this topic. Um, we believe that women own their own bodies. Yes. Anyone who has a uterus is should be able to make decisions that are right for themselves, for their families. And we understand that those decisions are difficult and they're nuanced and there are a lot of factors involved. Uh, and we feel frustrated that um, the court, um, along with a lot of legislators, don't trust people to make those kinds of difficult decisions for themselves. And it shouldn't have to take being in the position yourself to understand the nuance and to understand the need for individual decisions. We, it, it shouldn't. We should be able to trust someone else's judgment about their own body. Um, and our one way in which we can come to understand that nuance and to better trust one another and better understand one another's experiences and opinions is through reading. Um, we, when we founded our store, this was one of our foremost tenets of how we would build this business. And it was that we believe reading and storytelling make us better humans, connecting us and let it, us allowing us to better care for one another. So through storytelling, through sharing our stories and experiences, through illustrating common experiences um, and con consuming those stories, we better understand experiences outside our own. We live in a very white state, what has become a pretty conservative state, um, landlocked, very few direct flights <laughs> out of here. Um, many people don't get to see what life looks like in other parts of our country, in other parts of our state, in other parts of the world, and are very limited to the experiences they have. And so through reading, we hope that we can all come to better understand one another. Um, what's well, mo most mm -hmm. of these issues that, that become so like, you know, hot button political issues. Um, I think if you take it down to the very human level of like t hearing people's stories and experiences, it, it makes it uh, different. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of, you know, Roe v. Wade. I'm thinking of all these like anti trans bills that have been going through in States um, and just the power of, of in storytelling and how we have to keep telling stories and keep consuming stories mm -hmm. um, in order to, you know, hopefully arrive at a more just country. It feels like we're taking some steps backwards. And so I think it's more important now than ever to be seeking out stories, to mm -hmm. be telling stories. Um, Before you have an opinion on a topic, you either... I mean, and, and, and realizing that even if you have experience with something that yours is just one experience exactly, um, and it's not universal. And so seek out stories. And what's really interesting, I've always anecdotally shared this, that people who read are better people. We've had, you know, we have the best <laughs> customers. And when I say better, kinder, more empathetic people and studies back this up. So anecdotally, I've always known this as a reader. We take great pride in, you know, being awesome people. And we really <laughs> believe our customers and the people who come into the store who love stories are just the most amazing people. Um, but research backs it up. Um, people who read fiction better understand and are able to share in the feelings of others. Um, people who are different than themselves 
of the University of Toronto published a 2006 finding that drew a connection between reading fiction and better performance on widely used empathy and social acumen tests. Um, and the better uh, drawn into a story you become, like how invested you are in the narrative, the better able uh, you are to develop that empathy. So if you're thinking about, oh, well, I, I should probably pick up a nonfiction book on this particular topic of immigration or trans experience. Yes, those are good. And reading something is better than nothing. But literary fiction is at the very top of the heap. Um, another study published in Science in 2013 found that reading literary fiction had the highest uh, level of improving empathy. Um, and that's because you get drawn into the stories. You're invested in the people. So read books, people. <laughs> read more books. So we were going to talk about some of the books that have helped us shape or reshape our understanding of experiences other than our own. What has been, uh, what are some of the titles that have been influential to you in better understanding experiences other than your own? People who might not otherwise be familiar to you. Well, there have been a lot of books. Um, I think a fortunate thing is that publishing, you know, is becoming a much more, is, is doing a much better job of publishing diverse experiences. And so there are more options now to be reading diversely. And that's something that I, that matters to me mm -hmm. to do. I think recently I read Against the Loveless World, um, which deals with yeah. um, a Palestinian um, character. And it is a different sort of side of that experience than the, um, than what we're used to hearing. It's way uh, a more intimate yeah. And it helps you understand people we end up labeling and seeing from very far away as terrorists. Right. And then so like the character, like there's there's a scene in the book where she like really loved Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and it had it was this created this moment for me because I loved this character and I had such empathy for her. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was like, wait, Saddam Hussein is bad. Mm -hmm. And so it created this like cognitive dissonance in me that made me really think about like the way that that whole conflict has been taught to me or fed to me and I'm not saying that Saddam Hussein is good but just that there's this whole other experience human experience mm -hmm. in that part of the world that um is worth considering so that's a recent one um I've talked about it before on this podcast but Detransition Baby was really informative for me in terms of like trans women um, and thinking about the issues in particular that affect trans women, um, I, it had, wasn't something that I had given a whole lot of like serious thought to before I read that book. Um, so those would be fiction. Um, a nonfiction one that I really love is The Warmth, Warmth of Other Suns mm -hmm. by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes this one stand out in terms of nonfiction is that there is a narrative thread. Right. Because... It's sort of bounces back and forth between like straight up history, but interwoven is the story of several people and their families. Mm -hmm. And so you get very invested in their lives. Um, but it's about the Great Migration um, after slavery from during Reconstruction or after Reconstruction from the South to the North. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating American history. Um, and it explains a lot about how we've arrived at this place of such, you know, systemic institutional racism that we cannot seem to, like... Surmount? Yeah, well, yeah. Or or even, you know... Identify? Care to, care to, to see for a lot of people, frankly. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I remember reading it and thinking, this should be required reading, like, in high school. Like, this is... I wish, I, I wish I'd known this. How about for you? Mine are interesting. Um... It is easy as someone as someone who cares deeply about what we term progressive issues and very much aligns with being a progressive person um, and empathetic towards many who are marginalized um, to write off conservatives as heartless or selfish or I don't know. I don't want to get any harsher than that, but it's easy to dehumanize 
people who think quite conservatively. Um, and two books that kind of opened my eyes to how people arrive at that place where um, they're very focused on their own experiences or are unable to see suffering of others were one, the memoir Educated by Tara Westover, in which she was raised in a very small town by very um, religious parents who had, they were Mormon. Yeah, they were like survivalists. Yeah, survivalists, Mormon, Mormons. Yeah. And she had very limited exposure to anything other than what her father primarily taught her. Um, very much against using medicine. And so there's a point at which she had a horrible, later in life, um, she's left her family, she's at college, has a horrible strep uh throat infection and doesn't think she can take antibiotics. Like she is ashamed that she would indulge modern medicine. Um, so her understanding of how the world operates was very much shaped by her small, small window on information because of how her parents raised her. Yeah. Um, it shaped so much of who she was. And so this process of leaving, going to college, meeting more people, allowed her to open up that window to something much broader. Yeah. And so thus the title of the book, she was educated. But she was also like the exception, right? Yes. Right. And so that is a lovely story. Another book that really helped me understand the perspective of some conservatives who are not interested in being taxed anymore or um, in any way providing social services was Atlas Shrugged, which is like a touchstone for the conservative movement. Um, my husband had read it in like high school or something and always enjoyed it. And it does have a pretty strong narrative. It's kind of a I don't know. Anne Rand was a good storyteller. It's very long, very dense. Um, but uh, I read it for his benefit. And it helped me understand how some people who have been innovators, have worked very hard um, to produce something, create something, make something successful, do not want anyone else to share in that success. Um and do not want to bring others up with them. They want to take what they've made and be left alone. And that helped me understand why they might feel that way. Not that I think it's right, but it, going through that process with the main character um, as he develops a steel industry and then feels like it's all being taken away from him and wanting to go form his own utopia with the great um, innovators of his day. Uh, it made me know my own father better, I guess. Um, well, because you were able to sort of like see what his thought process was, even if you didn't agree with it, that mm -hmm. you could say like, okay, this is why you're thinking the way that you're thinking. That's when we can better start better understanding one another. When we can, when we can see where those thoughts and experiences have come from and we're not just shaming others and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, we can show empathy when you have a good conversation, you know, like you learn this <laughs> conversation techniques, echo someone else's statement so they know you're actively listening to be able to to, to tell someone you hear where they've come from and what their experiences were can better help you illustrate your own. If you can model that, um, empathy, but that comes from reading. You know, yeah. opening my mind, putting yourself in someone else's shoes to know what that feels like. You you develop that part of your brain that allows you to imagine being in a situation other than your own. And there are quite a few people who have very limited experience exercising that part of their brain. Right. And I, you know, I think Tanvi um, <clears throat> mentioned once to me that and I think she's right. Tanvi's one of our booksellers that um, reading is a really safe way to explore other identities or like experience that might seem um, 
strange to you or that you you don't feel like you know much about because you don't have to like necessarily have that face-to-face interaction with somebody who may be very different from you um you can you can um, experience through literature um it's a very safe way of experiencing another Mm -hmm. perspective or experience so we think the storytelling allows you know if you're if you're consuming stories and experiences that are different from your own it broadens your horizons. I think it makes you a better, more empathic person. Um, but we also know that books can give us company in our life, can make us feel seen mm-hmm. in ways. And that's important, too. Right. It, by reading stories that are similar to yours, you feel less alone. Right. In every hard part of my life, when I see either of when I'm when someone shares verbally a story that echoes my own um or I read somewhere, whether it's an article or a story that resonates, you know, those are the pages I dog ear that say, this is the feeling. Yes. It crystallizes the experience I've had. I know um, one of the, the life-changing books for me was The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver. Yes. And where I related was... Um, the mother in the family of missionaries that lives overseas, they lose a child tragically. And the way she grieves was very relatable to me, having lost our pregnancy. And I just seen those, that the way her method for grieving reflected in this beautiful piece of literature just validated my own experience. Yeah. One book that I read in the last um, couple years that quite resonated with me in that way was, it's actually a young adult book, and I don't read that much in young adult, but it's A Heart and a Body in the World um, by Deb Coletti. And it's about this girl who um, decides to run across the United States. Now, this is not the part I relate to. (laughs) (laughs) Not the running. Um, But we know that she that there's been some tragedy for which she feels responsible. Um, And really, like, so much of this book is about the way, in particular, that young women are sort of socialized to be pleasers Mm -hmm. and to be nice and not hurt anybody's feelings and how her, her, that conditioning led her to make choices that had very grave consequences. And there have been many times, as I, as I get older, it's easier for me, but there have been many times in my life where I have felt like, you know, as a female, but also as like a Midwesterner, right, mm-hmm. that being nice trumps all things. And that I should, I shouldn't say anything that's going to hurt somebody's feelings, even if it's like my truth and mm-hmm. I need, you know what I mean? And this character was just so screwed because if she had you know, vocalized her feelings and been her true self, she would have been thought of as a bitch or a slut or Mm -hmm. whatever. So she was doing the thing she was conditioned to do. And then this horrible thing happens and she knows that part of it is her fault. But really was it her fault or was it the society that conditioned her that she always had to be accommodating? And I have always, I have felt that need to be accommodating and I've done it many, many times in my life. And so that certainly resonated with me. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah i think this week the main point is we're as we're sort of thinking on the change that looks likely to come and reflecting on the state of affairs in our country and our state um that we just continue seeking stories and telling stories and looking for ways to connect right and empathy really matters yeah we need to see one another and exercise that part of your brain by reading. Exactly. Come to Doggard Books and we'll give you those stories to open up your eyes. Speaking of stories that can open your eyes, we have a couple great paperback releases. Yes. Um, why don't you tell me about the first one? Okay, so this is The Love Songs of W.E.B. Dubois by Honoré Jeffers. So this one was a finalist for a shit ton of awards. So it was long listed for the National Book Award, the Curtis Prize. Um, and many others okay 
Um, and it centers around this young adult. So it's like her high school and college years, Eileen, and she's a descendant of slaves and tenant farmers. And so if you're familiar with Dubois' work, he describes a sort of double consciousness um, that a lot of Black Americans carry with them everywhere they go. And she's struggling with that. She's struggling with her own identity, race, and gender-wise. And so she delves into her family history. So this goes back generations, and she uncovers some complicated truths about who she is. And I have not read it yet, mm-hmm. but um, it's been intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And I think Jess read it and maybe a couple of our other booksellers. Um, but it sounds really, really good. And easier to carry around in paperback than hardcover. Yeah, it's a big book. Mm-hmm. So the um, the hardcover was quite daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that's coming out in paperback, and I think it seems really cool, is called Facing the Mountain by Daniel James Brown. And this is nonfiction. And it's a story of four Japanese-American men during World War II. Three of them, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, enlisted in the U.S. military and um, endured all sorts of struggle on frontline combat in the European front. And then the fourth man um, was a sociologist, and he was a very prominent resistor to Japanese internment in the United States. And what's cool about this is these four men are Americans, and then they're the brunt of um, disdain and discrimination, yet they are fighting for their countries in the most patriotic of ways. Mm -hmm. The three of them are, you know, like literally at war. And the other is like saying, no, this is not what America is. This is not how we treat our people. Um, And so I I think it's just a wonderful portrayal of what patriotism really looks like. Right. In hardcovers, we have a couple interesting books coming out. Um, A Favorite summertime author, Jennifer Weiner. I'm a big fan of her work. I loved um, Good in Bed. The original chiclet goes back. (laughs) I've not read it. It's so much fun. Um, But she recently has had a series of books. And they're not not a series that follows one another, but it's thematically... summertime in the northeast okay so that's a vibe a lot of people look for in the summer this one is a complicated family story revolving around a wedding being planned for post-pandemic and you kind of get a a feel for the drama that's occurred during the pandemic and what they're dealing with now to pull off this wedding in the cape next we have the lioness by chris bojalian as I think how you say his last name, but it's The Lioness. It looks to be a mystery thriller horror kind of vibe. Um, It's about a Hollywood actress, 1964. Her husband and another couple go on this luxurious African safari that turns deadly. Yeah. So a fun premise for a thriller. Um, And then we have a new title from an author you love. Yeah, so I actually don't know much about this book. It's called Siren Queen by Nevo, but I will read it and I'll tell you why. Because I read Nevo's last book, The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is a spin on The Great Gatsby. And her prose is gorgeous. It is stunning, like best of the best. She is a beautiful writer. Um, So I will read her just for that. Okay, well, I'll tell you. It's about okay, tell me what seeking. It's, about. it's Hollywood setting. Okay, cool. And there's magical realism revolving around seeking immortality. Sounds cool. Yeah. I'll read it for the prose. You don't even have to tell me what it's about. Okay, I'm really excited about a title we have coming for the middle grade graphic novel section. Ooh. It's from two of my favorite bookmakers in the children's realm, Mac Barnett. He's super hilarious. He has a string of hits in middle grade novels, picture books, early readers. Um, He's funny. And it's illustrated by Sean Harris. And they're kind of like BFFs in California. Um, And Sean's illustration style is just unique and fun, um, colorful. So the The graphic novel is called The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza. (laughs) 
And we're going to have 12 signed copies because I'm that enthusiastic about it. I had an advanced reader's copy and I found it hilarious. It's consistently page after page after page, very witty and funny. Um, but the, at the crux of the book is the moon is being taken over by rats who are eating it because, you know, the moon is made of cheese. Mm. And so there's only one hero that can save the day. And it's this cat. And the cat is put on a spaceship and sent to space to solve the issue. And he's going to team up with the Moon Queen mm. and this toenail clipping robot. <laughs> Obviously. Right. Who's very intelligent and very, like, eager to serve. Just so eager to have friends. Um, That's like you, Rachel. You're like our toenail clipping robot that works here. <laughs> it's a good analogy. She's really sweet. <laughs> How? Because you're an eager beaver. And the robot does solve most of the problems just like you do. So the, what will happen? Will the moon be saved? Will the earth? Because the moon has a huge effect on the earth, as we know. We as need we the moon. Know. So will the earth be saved? Will the cat save the day? Who are these evil rat villains? And will the cat ever get to, its pizza? Do you see that Rachel's playing Trying to play footsie with me. Mm -hmm, I do. <laughs> I'm taken. But thanks for your interest. Now we've just come off of Mother's Day. And uh, previously our fantastic indie bookstore day. We've had so much fun, but we're into another jam-packed week. Yeah, okay, but I want to ask you, like, do you have any Mother's Day traditions that you do for your mom or for yourself? So... I was raised in a family in which we always did something special for my mom. Um, my mom and I these days go and get flowers for our planters at her house. So I always go with her and we go pick some out um, and I help her plant them all around her house. And she really likes doing that. Um, when we opened her, our bookstore, I was like, I'm not getting any flowers anymore. They're just going to die because I knew I was going <laughs> to neglect them. But I still really enjoy going with her to pick her plants. The thing we do at my house and, you know, who knows? Austin every once in a while has a home run Mother's Day for me. Never. It did not start out that way, though. Oh, same. No, it was bad. Yeah. Same. High expectations. I had and it high was expectations bad. and I was pissed. It was bad. It's like your first Mother's Day and you're Listen. expecting like big time. Yes, First time, first time couples, you guys, listen, first time, tune the guys in right now or the spouse or whoever is partnering with the person giving birth, or if you're both mothers, do a good job for each other. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it You'll up. You'll live the rest of your life regretting it if you do. But anyway, um, the girls and I, the one thing I will plant every year is a fairy garden in a wheelbarrow. In my on my back porch, and we set up the fairy garden, and the girls put their fairies in there in their houses, and um, everyone picks a couple of mini flowers or plants to plant in there, and we have a lot of fun. At some point, we always kill it because I don't, I'm not <laughs> responsible enough to water. But how about you guys? Well, you're a nicer mom than I am. I celebrate Mother's Day for myself by purchasing a Lego set that I do not allow my children to build with me. <laughs> What are you going to do? Or what know. did you do this year? Um, so I am, full disclosure, Mother's Day is in three days. <laughs> yeah, we're recording before Mother's Day. Um, I am looking at those, the Lego botanical sets. So mm -hmm. I have one. Um, I build yourself some flowers. I'm build myself some flowers. Um, as far as for my mom, I always feel like there's not enough I could do to mm -hmm. show her. But... Um, I need to figure something out for for Mother's Day. I've got some ideas. Yeah. But. I like being a mom, but I know it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of emotional burden. We care very much, and it makes we you realize. Do. But then you get these moments, like my six-year-old <laughs> crawled into bed with me last night, and he goes, ah, I love you so hard, Mom. <laughs> and my daughter... For career day, um, in the alphabet countdown to the last day of school, went to school and she filled out this book and had a certain outfit because she wanted to be a bookstore owner. Aww. 
And what would she wear? Normal clothes. <laughs> so she very much still wants to be like her mom, which is a huge compliment. And I love that I still have at least one kid who loves me <laughs> and needs me. love you. So, uh, but yeah, in this next week, we have quite a lot going on. I'll read um, a fun story on Wednesday at 10 a.m. And then you, Ellen, will lead Books and Beverages. Yeah, Thursday 6 to 7 is Books and Beverages, and we usually run over. Um, it's our book club for people who don't want to read a particular book. We hang out. We talk about what we're reading. Great time to get recommendations. But we can't run over because the 7 o'clock trivia starts, and I'm on a team with Rachel and her boyfriend, JoJo, and my husband. And we are going to slay. I'm excited to hear how that goes. Someday I would like to join. But I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't. I won't. But I like you guys. So I'll sit there and be a complainer. Um, I don't like to not know things. I don't like to guess. I hate failing. And I have a feeling that's what it'd be. But as far as you guys tell the, it, the trivia thing, is the most fun night we have here. Trivia is fun. And you don't have to win. I mean, I do like to win. But like, as long as you're riding in the middle, I'm fine. I'm going to make Rachel, or no, Jill, who plans our trivia nights, make sure the night I first participate, there's a category on children's book characters, That's and then I will cheating, kill everyone. Amanda. You can't I that. won't know the answers ahead of time. It'll just be... You'll know the category. That's cheating. I thought you were talking about my mom at first. Mm. Okay. Friday. Actually, the whole weekend is a big weekend, yeah. but um, let's talk a little bit about Friday in particular. Okay, so Main Street and Ames planned this festival, the 515 Day or Weekend. We're calling it 515 Festival. It is a weekend-long celebration this year of everything that is unique about the 515 Area Code, um, celebrating what's uniquely us, uh, which is really fun for us at the bookstore because we enjoy celebrating our local authors all year long. And we have four lined up to visit our store over the weekend to sign copies of books and talk to our customers. And these are all great friends of the store. We see them all the time and they're very successful authors. We have Shannon Evans who wrote Rewilding Motherhood. She's an outstanding um, person talking about a kind of new look at Christianity and also what it means to be a mother in today's world. She is lovely and just fun to talk to. And then we have Genevieve Gornichek, who wrote The Witch's Heart, now out in paperback. She is like in every one of our book clubs. So much fun. Um, she's turned in her second book. So we have that to look forward to. Yep. I don't know when it will be published, but we're eagerly awaiting it. Uh, we have Denise Williams, who's written two full-length rom-coms, How to Fail at Flirting and The Fastest Way to Fall, in addition to several novellas. And we'll have another book coming out this fall. So she's prolific. Again, lovely, cheerful, amazing. Um, one of our best-selling books, just like The Witch's Heart. Um, and then we have Rachel Mansman-Kenny on Sunday. And they'll all be... And Rachel is the author of The Butterfly Effect, which is the All Iowa Reads this year. One of the first authors we ever got to work with when yeah. we were setting up the store. And her book takes place in right Ames. In Ames. Yeah. yeah. So she'll be on Sunday. The other three are on Saturday. You can check our social media and our webpage to find out the exact time frames that they'll be here. But they'll be staggered throughout Saturday and then Rachel on Sunday. And then also with 515 Weekend, Friday night, there is a block party downtown. And it's actually right outside of our store. Yeah. So there's going to be a beer garden. Mm -hmm. And the Burning Sensations mm -hmm. are going to be playing. They are a local cover band. They are awesome. I've seen them many times. Um, so we'll so stay gonna, open late. Yeah. We're going to be open a little bit later. So stop in. Um, but come downtown and enjoy that event. And then um, 4515 Weekend. Uh, we're going to be really featuring our local authors. Um, if you purchase a book written by a local author in our store, you get a free 515 enamel pen, pin. Mm -hmm. um, or if you make a purchase greater than $25, you will also get one of those enamel pins. Um, they're really cute. Um, okay, what else we got besides So part of our regular uh, activities, we have the Totally Graphic Book Club, 
on Friday at 5 p.m. This is geared toward high school students. Mm -hmm. They read exclusively graphic novels, which is really cool because not only are graphic novels popular, they handle some really great subject matter. This month they're reading Who the F Are You (laughs) by Huda Fami. So that'll be great. Saturday is another one of our book clubs, 6 p.m., Chapman's List Book Club. And they're reading The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. This is open to all ages, no registration necessary. Uh, This is basically banned books, books that Senator Chapman here in Iowa has talked about banning and other, yeah, and other groups have really targeted to try and remove from classrooms and schools. Um, and then we have Sunday at 2 p.m., Cafe Philosophy. So this is an open-ended discussion type book club. They do have some books selected that could inform your discussion. Uh, but they talk about the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And their question that they're debating this month or discussing is, is democracy preferable? Ooh, that's heavy. Yeah, so a lot going on. Yeah. Well, we've finished our JQV. We've had some important discussions. I'm going to finish Rachel's for her. Well, give me a little bit of Rachel. Sure. All right. Did you hear about the flower who went on a date with another flower? No. It's a budding romance. (laughs) Where are you getting these? (laughs) The internet. (laughs) I just Googled spring jokes. (laughs) All right. Cheers. Cheers. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yeah, and if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great! It's so great! <laughs> <laughs>